Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both here in the room as well as those of you online? Man, so good to be worshiping with you guys. Hey, can we just celebrate a moment? How many were here for Easter last week? Wasn't that incredible? What a great time worshiping God. Listen, I just want to, I just like sometimes to just talk about the good things God is doing. We had uh, one or two families, depending on the size of the family, shy of 3,000 people worshiping with us last weekend. And the reason I think that's important is because not everybody is declaring Jesus King upon the earth. And so when crowds come together to do that, I think that's important. But the real number I want you to celebrate with me is 11 people gave their lives to Jesus last week here through Easter services. And, uh, you know, as we've always said here at Grace Life, we know that uh, we make it hard. You actually have to fill out a card and go and talk to a stranger. So that number 11, that's 11 people willing to go talk to a stranger and tell them that happened. That means uh, I think Jesus probably touched a lot more than 11 people here last week. So, uh, wow, 3,000 people. We might need to build a bigger auditorium. What do y'all think? Hint, hint. Just tuck that away because it's coming. But anyway, hey, if you were here for Easter... Uh, one of the things we talked about was kind of an introduction for this new series. You see behind me, we're starting a series today called When Life Hurts. And all of the Easter message that we pointed to was how wrong it was that Jesus had to go through what he went through. An innocent man, God in the flesh, how wrong it was, but somehow how God took the greatest wrong in all of history and turned it into the greatest right. And so what we're going to do for these next few weeks is look at some more things that are honestly just wrong. It's just wrong because we're going through life here on earth. And what we want to do, hopefully, is understand where is God in the midst of this. The truth is I know that every single one of us has been through something very, very painful. And when you did, you found yourself asking questions like, why is this happening? God, where are you? Do you even care? And you know why I know those are the questions you asked? Because those are the questions I get asked all the time. You see, if your house is on fire, the first call is typically to a fire department. If someone falls down unconscious, the first call is typically to an ambulance. When life hurts, the first call is usually to a pastor. Because what we all need is for someone to help minimize the pain. Can you give me an answer, pastor? Why am I going through this? Give me an answer that will make sense. Well, sometimes it's tough to come up with that, isn't it? So that's the whole point behind this series is because I've just seen so many people lose their faith in God when they go through something challenging in life. So this series is all about discovering what God is doing in the midst of some very difficult challenges that we're going to face here in life on earth. Each week we're going to look at a different type of hurt that we'll all go through. Today we're going to start with the idea of trials because life is filled with trials. And I'm not talking about the fun ones you watch on TV where someone else's life is in trouble. I'm talking about the ones that we experience on our own. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. Our main passage today is going to be in James chapter 1 at the very beginning of the of the. Uh, the book there by James. We're going to start in verse 2. And uh, the main passage we're looking at today is not one of your favorite verses. The passage we're going to look at today is not one that you have on an index card posted on your refrigerator that you want to be reminded of regularly. But it starts like this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. No amens from that, huh? Didn't think so. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, 
some of your English versions use the word endurance there, and some of your English versions use the word patience. And I'll be honest, it's steadfastness does not roll off my tongue very easily. And I almost wanted to just go with another version so it'd be easier for me to, to, to use a word that would come out of my mouth more easily. And the truth is, most of us don't use the word steadfast and steadfastness every day. I mean, I can't even say that 10 times fast. Steadfastness, steadfastness, steadfastness. Y'all see what I'm saying? I mean, like, but the reason I want to make that point is because steadfastness is the best picture of what this is actually talking about. It's the idea of being immovable when something is coming against you. And endurance sort of gives you that picture about being able to stand strong for a long term. Patient probably doesn't quite give you the picture of being immovable in the midst of a storm. But that's what this is talking about, is that the testing of our faith will make us immovable in the midst of a storm. Now, the key that we need to understand about this verse, if you hate this verse, is not actually telling you to be grateful for the trial. It doesn't say count it all joy that you're going through a trial and then stop talking. He said count it all joy for you know. You see, it's ultimately all about the outcome. It's not about the trial, but it's about the outcome of the trial. So I've got four children, and we used to have a really old deck on the back of our house. We got rid of it for the reason that I'm about to tell you. But when you have an old deck, what is the first, and, and children, when you have an old deck and children, what do you get a lot of? Splinters. There you go. I'm glad you guys know that the other service, they all sat there silent like that. And so here's the thing. When I had my kids would get a splinter because, well, we're always sitting on the deck or you have to go across the deck to get to the backyard and play. Splinters all the time. Three of my four children would always come and say, Daddy, I have a splinter. Can you get it out? One of my children, on the other hand, would just kind of limp around like not using part of their foot. What's wrong? Got a splinter. Can I get that out? Nope. You see, I had one child that could not endure the process of pain even inside of the outcome of gain. Did y'all get that? I had one child who says, I'm just going to endure what I'm going through. I'm going to suffer because the gain on the other side is not worth the pain that I'm going to have to go through to get it out. Because y'all know when you try to remove a splinter, sometimes there's a little extra digging around to get it. It hurts just a little bit. And the question for us is, can we... Can we see beyond the process of pain that a trial brings in order to get the outcome of gain, which, as we just learned, is immovable faith, right? So he goes on to say, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Complete obviously means whole, emotionally whole, spiritually whole, mentally whole, that we become all that we're supposed to be. And the word perfect does not mean sinless. It just means mature. And right before Easter, we did a series on mature, talking about if you're a mature believer, this is what your life will have in it. Now we're actually coming to understand part of what will make us mature is enduring trials. Isn't that fun? But he wraps up his whole thing. If you jump to verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Blessed is the one who is immovable under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And the picture for the crown of life that James is giving them is one that was very familiar to them. When anyone would win a race or a competition, they would be given a crown made out of laurel leaves that would go in their head. It was a laurel leaf crown that symbolized victory. But what James is talking about is this crown is eternal life. Because what you and I need is faith that endures to the point of eternal life. 
Now, can we be honest? That explains what good comes out of a trial? That does not explain at all why life has to hurt, does it? I mean, what we're all really asking is not what do I get out of a trial, but why doesn't God just prevent the trials? Come on, somebody with me. Why doesn't God just prevent the trials? Why does life have to hurt? And that's the real question of the day. People ask me all the time when they're going through something, why do I have to do this? Why is this happening? Why doesn't God just prevent this? I'll even have people ask all the time, does God cause the trials or does God just allow the trials? And that's a debate for another day, probably some of both, but let's stick with the main point. God could do anything. Can I get an amen on that one? God could choose to do anything. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He could prevent every trial. He could make it never happen. So when we're going through a trial, we need to remember he's the one that we need to turn our attention to. He's the one that we need to say, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And even if it starts with a little bit of a bad attitude, you know, parents, sometimes it's okay if your, parent, your children come to you with a little bit of a bad attitude, at least they're still talking to you and you can, you can work with that. And so sometimes we may be not in the best place, but we still need to start with going to God because then God can work with our sincerity of going to him. Are any of you familiar with watching a, a chick be born, a chicken hatching its way out of a shell? I'm getting like, I think one head nod so far, which is understandable. We do live in a city and, oh, two head nods. There you go. And, and so most of us are not farm folk and we're not very familiar with how that process goes, but maybe you've heard a little bit about it. The truth is, it's the first trial that a baby chicken, a little chick, is ever going to go through. It's actually fair to use the word trauma because up until this point, it's been a very safe life, being well-nurtured and, and has never had to exert any strength. And now finally, in order to get out of this shell, it's going to have to exert strength that's never even known that it had. And it's going to have to do something that, that honestly is difficult. The truth is, if you've ever watched a chick hatching out of a shell, there's a point where you wonder if they're going to make it. And what a lot of people do if they're watching, especially little kids being born on a farm or, or having chickens, they're, they're tempted to reach down and to help and to, to break the chick out of the shell. And you know, as a side note, one of the reasons that you and I struggle with our perception of God so much when we're going through trials is because of the number of us that have a mercy gift, an empathy gift. We want to make things easier for our children. We want to make things easier for other people. And so we don't understand why God would not make things easier for us. But see, the thing is, if you have that empathy or that mercy and you reach down to help that poor little chick and you break that shell and you help them out, the strength that was not developed by breaking out of the shell, well, it's the strength that they needed to survive tomorrow. And the chicks that don't have to break them way, their own way out of a shell end up not having what they need to survive the rest of life. They end up suffering at the elements and don't live as long. It turns out the trial is giving them something they need for the future. And it turns out that this is very similar for humans just as much as chickens. Let me show you another passage. This is out of 1 Peter. In all this, you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Sounds like somebody would be getting an F for plagiarism if this were an English class right now. Like that sounds remarkably familiar to our other passage James wrote. Even goes on to say, these have come so the proven genuineness of your faith, the testing of your trials, right? May result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What a similar passage. 
Here's the truth. It's not plagiarism. It is very, very similar because one is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. The other was written by Peter, the closest disciple to Jesus. You see, what this tells you and me today is that those who are closest to Jesus understand we need to become steadfast if we're going to live life of faith in a broken world. Those closest to Jesus got that. For many of us today, we just want the broken world to be removed. You see, we are living in a broken world, and we do have a spiritual enemy. And the real truth behind why God doesn't just prevent all the trials boils down to this one thing. If we're not going to heaven today, we're going to need a stronger faith for tomorrow. If we're not going to heaven today, we're going to need a stronger faith for tomorrow. The whole point is to have faith that endures to eternal life. It's the crown that James was talking about. Not having faith that lasts so long and then we give up and walk away. Maybe you're familiar with the parable of the soils. We, we just preached on it not too long ago. I think just two or three weeks ago. And Jesus talked about how there were four different groups of people that heard the word of God and some had faith but fell away. Only one of the four groups of people had faith that endured to the point of eternal life. Who in here would say, I want to have faith in God right up until 52 and then die and go to hell? That's never anybody's goal. But what James is trying to explain to us is we have to go through trials because trials are what give us steadfast faith that will endure to the crown, eternal life, because that is the goal. See, here's the truth. We will never know the outcome of a trial in the natural. You, you realize that? That's what makes it a trial. If someone says, your bank account will reach zero today, but don't worry, the bank will call you and say a massive error, and in return for your massive error, we'll give you $10 million tomorrow. Everybody will look at their bank account with a zero and laugh. It's not a trial if you know the outcome. We'll never know the outcome. That is what makes it a trial. So what we need to realize, a trial is not intended to test your expectation of the outcome. It is intended to test your faith in God in the midst of the unknown. I'm glad a few people over here got that one. One of the best examples I can give you out of Scripture is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you've been to church any period of time, you're probably familiar with it because it's one of everybody's favorite stories to preach. But I'll give you the backstory and then just show you the end result. The backstory is that King Nebuchadnezzar, yep, that guy you studied in middle school social studies, he was real, and he conquered the known world, and part of that was conquering God's people. And so he took the Jewish people as slaves. And three of those Jewish slaves rose up because they were so excellent at what they did, they became leaders. But then at one point, Nebuchadnezzar decided it would be a great idea for everyone to bow to a huge golden statue of him. And so whenever music played, everybody in the nation would have to stop what they're doing and bow down to this huge statue. It was 90 feet tall, so it was pretty easy to be done. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being... Worshippers of the one true God could not do such, and it was made known. So we're going to pick up the story where Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you're going to play the music again and you're going to ask us to bow down and we're not going to do it and you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace, 
If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will definitely deliver us out of your, king, your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, you see, the trial is on. The truth is the trial was on the minute that King Nebuchadnezzar says, you got to bow down and worship me and my gods. Everybody in a nation had to fall on their face and worship. Three dudes stand upright. It's going to be pretty hard to hide, right? An entire nation on their face and three Jewish slaves going, yep, not us. I think the trial was on at that moment. They were already in trouble. On top of that, since the three Jewish slaves had been promoted in charge of all the people who were bowing down, the people who were bowing down hated them and wanted their jobs. I think the trial was on. You're not going to be able to hide when the people that are after you see you standing firm for God. The fiery furnace was real. This wasn't a fictitious, we're going to go get one, make it up, we're going to go down to Lowe's and buy a grill. No, this was like it was right there. It was fully fired, it was a real thing. Nebuchadnezzar is standing them in front of it saying, that's what I'm throwing you into. They see the flames. They can feel the heat. They can't deny what they've done. And their answer is very simple. But if not, because they don't know the outcome, they know God is able if God so chooses, God is powerful enough to extinguish the fire and bring them out of it. They know God is able, but they also don't know what God's going to do. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. You see, the trial is the testing of your faith in God, not your expectation of an outcome. For the rest of this message, let me ask you a question. It's going to help if you're here mentally and emotionally. What is the greatest trial you've ever been through? Let me reword that. What is the most painful trial you've ever been through? What is the greatest difficulty your faith has ever faced? Did it work out like you expected? And then the real question, what happened to your perception of God in that trial? The greatest trial my wife and I have ever faced to this day was when we were pregnant with one of our children and the doctors told us we could expect this child to die in birth. One year after having had a child die in birth with the same prognosis. And you see at that point, you can't have an expectation of an outcome. You can have a dream of an outcome, you can have a want of an outcome, but you can't have an expectation of an outcome. Because a year earlier, we had already been through this saying, our God can do miracles, but he chose not to. And to be in a place where you don't know what God is going to do, the only question is, are you going to hold fast to God? And at that point, there are many people that were coming alongside of us and saying, we're praying for you, and we're here with you. Let us know what we can do with you, for you. One of the things you need to understand about a trial is isolation. And this is one thing that shipwrecks most people when they're going through a trial because you feel alone. You see, here's the reality. There are many people that were saying they were praying for me and they were praying for us and praying for a miracle and praying for healing, but none of them were carrying a child that wasn't expected to live. The isolation that you go through in a trial is actually meant to draw you to God. Unfortunately, the devil uses it and he whispers in many of us, what we hear in the trial is God has abandoned you. Everyone has abandoned you. No one is there for you. And even if you're surrounded by Christian brotherhood, 
and everybody is, is as supportive as they can be, no one is, is facing the actual trial. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? A beautiful picture we have in Scripture. I'd encourage all of you, next time you're in a trial, to, to remember. The Bible tells us that David, King David, who wrote most of the book of Psalms, if you're not familiar with who he is, King David was a man after God's own heart. And everybody thinks that that was maybe just something easy the way he was born. I think it was hard-earned over a lifetime of some trials and some choices. You see, David was supposed to become the king of God's people. He did eventually, but it wasn't that easy along the way. And at one point, he had to flee his own nation and go and live with the enemy, their number one enemy. And so then his number one enemy even rejected him. Like you, you would think having the future king on your side of the, uh, your enemy would be like a good thing. So they went off to battle his nation and they wouldn't even let him go. So they made him turn back. Well, while he is gone and before he gets back, a third enemy shows up and takes all of the women and children captive. And we get back to their city and discover all this has happened. The soldiers who have been with him, who would say they were David's men, now turned against him. That's about as lonely and isolated as you can get. Your nation is against you. Your nation's enemy is against you. Your enemy's enemy is against you. Your own men are against you. And everyone you loved has been taken. That's lonely. But the Bible tells us, so David strengthened himself in the Lord. How do you do that? You just fall on your face and say, oh my God, I need you. I don't understand. I don't know what's happening. But I trust you. You are all I have. And that is what God is doing when we find ourselves feeling alone in a trial. I want to encourage you, when you feel alone in a trial, don't believe that God has abandoned you. God is actually drawing you to him. He is showing you that there is no other human no person you can text, no person that you can call, no pastor that can give you any wisdom that can give you what only he can give you. And he is drawing you to that point. So I'd like to just give you two very, very simple, almost stupid, because they are so simple and practical things to help you the next time you face a trial. First thing is we need to admit we don't like trials. Let's just start there. Honesty is the best way to approach any situation. Did anybody ever walk into a class when you were in school and you hoped the teacher would look at you and say, there'll be a test on this on Friday. It'll count for your entire semester grade. No one ever. So let's just go ahead and admit we don't like trials. The truth is we do like certain challenges when we choose them, right? I've got a friend of mine that likes to do triathlons. Actually, my pastor likes to do triathlons, and I'm thinking, two-point-something miles swimming? Like, we got boats for that. <laughs> 26 miles running? Yeah, we got cars for that. And I don't even know how many miles on a bike. We got cars for that, too. <laughs> what kind of pleasure do you get out of something like that? But he loves it, and he does it, and he trains for it to get better and to get faster. And so he started training his kids to do it. And one of his sons took it to the next level. He said, 26 miles ain't nothing. He started, 100 milers, 
100 mile races. You have to start in the dark, you end in the dark. You can't get that done in the daylight in one day. And I'm thinking, 100 miles, we have airplanes for that. Like what, what goes through your head to want to do that to yourself? See, we all choose certain things. I'm a pianist, and I love playing really challenging pieces. Probably the most challenging piece of my entire life is on my bucket list, and we'll play it before I die, God willing. And it's one of those things where it would have been easier for them to print white edges on black paper than to print the black dots on white paper. It just looks like, whoo, when you look at it, right? And to me, that's going to be enjoyable. To some of you, you'd go, I don't even want to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. We all have certain challenges. We say, I want that. I will do that. But none of us choose that when it comes to faith and life. None of us want those challenges in faith and life. If we don't choose them, it becomes a frustration for us. We know that challenges make us stronger. We know that you become able to run and walk as a little toddler when you try to stand up and you fall back down. We accept that we need that challenge. We understand if we want to learn astrophysics, you're going to have to study. You're going to get a brain cramp, I promise. You're going to have to go through that. But when it comes to faith in life, we want it to be easy. And if we could be honest, our prayers typically in a trial is, God, get me out of this. God, why is this happening to me? Can you, can you solve this problem? God, will you make this go away? Will you? We just want life to be easy. Our prayers are always, God, make life easy. So if we can admit we don't like trials, step one, and we realize we're going to have to approach them differently, and this will be the second thing. And that is we're going to need to choose to be a faith builder. And that is a play on words intentionally. Choose to be a faith builder, playing on the words of muscle builder, body builder. We've got some guys here in the church, Troy, Patrick, you guys know who you are, who intentionally go to gyms to see how much they can lift to put their muscles in pain so that they can lift more another day. They are choosing to become a muscle builder. And, and there's a mantra, anybody who has ever done this, no pain, no gain. The problem is the same is true of our faith. Your faith doesn't get stronger until it gets pushed to its breaking point and you discover God was still there and God was still good and you actually drew closer to him. Until you go through some pain in a trial, your faith cannot grow. There will never be gain. No pain, no gain. But here's the reality. Many of us are happy sitting on our couch watching Netflix saying, I do not need to bench press 300 pounds, so who really cares? <laughs> I will hire someone to move a piano. I will not choose to do it myself. Like, I don't need to do this. And that's really what happens to our faith. You ever played Would You Rather? Would you rather have strong faith or an easy life? Would you rather have strong faith? Let me see your hands. Would you rather have an easy life? Liars. <laughs> Liars. Only because you're in church, not a single hand. But I know, I know tomorrow morning when you're praying, oh, God, bless me with this promotion. Oh, God, give me a raise. Oh, God, no flat tires. Oh, God, make traffic. I mean, you want an easy life. Would you stop lying to yourself? Come on. We all want an easy life. But trials do give us stronger faith. And we're going to have to choose to be a faith builder or to try to find the easy way out. That's the choice that's in front of us. Most people, honestly, inherently believe life should be easy. Christians and non-Christians. Non-Christians believe life should be easy because, well, if there's a good and loving God, he will make everything good. 
There should be no mistakes upon the earth because there's a good God on the throne, and if there are mistakes, then there's no God. Christians simply say, well, if there's a good and loving God on the throne, he will bless me. He'll make my life easy. He'll answer all my prayers. Everything will go the way it should go. Hear me when I tell you this. Bad theology has crashed many people's faith in the midst of a trial. Bad theology crashes people's faith. The idea that life should be easy if God exists, it's not in the Bible. Come back in two weeks for a message you really don't want to hear. But that's not what's in the Bible. It's not what Jesus went through on the cross, even though his father still loved him in that moment. It's bad theology. But I meet people, and you probably have too, who seem to lose their way, they lose their faith, because they just truly don't expect to go through a trial. And when they do, they, they walk away. If there's a trial, it should be a small one. And then I should just be able to throw up a prayer and God should answer it immediately. I go back to having an easy life. But if it doesn't work out like that, then, well, I don't know that God is there. I'm not sure that God is good. Some of you may know people that they've gone through trials and they've barely made it with their faith intact. And matter of fact, even up until the last moment, they were still saying things like, I don't think God loves me. I don't even believe God's here. And you're saying, oh, come on, man, God is here. I'm praying for you. I'm, 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 I'm right here. If you need anything, you call. Yeah, have, don't raise your hand. But have you, ever, have you ever had to walk someone through a crisis of their faith? And then finally, when they get through it and they say, oh, God was, God's still on his throne. What you and I actually did is we reached down and we broke that chick out of its shell and they never developed any endurance. And you give it another week or another month or another year, they're going to go through another trial and it's, it's like the crisis of faith all over again. And matter of fact, you're not sure if they're just one trial away from walking away from God altogether. Do you know somebody like that? real question is, are you that someone? If so, that's why we're doing this series is because we need to understand what God is doing when life hurts. And God is still good when we're going through trials. God is still on his throne when we're going through trials. So if you get to the point, as I sum it up here, and you say, well, why do we have to go through trials at all? Let me give you an analogy in the natural a sheik of the United Arab Emirates, whose name I will not attempt to pronounce out of respect for him, was asked in an interview about the future of his country because of how quickly it was progressing. He said, my grandfather rode a camel, my father rode a camel. I ride a Mercedes. My son rides a Land Rover and my grandson is going to ride a Land Rover, but my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. When he was asked why is that, reportedly his answer was, hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men, and weak men create difficult times. What you and I need to understand is that we live in hard times, and we need to be strong men and women of faith. 
No, I'm not referring to our natural world. You may not agree with this, but we live in the easiest times in all of human history. Luxury like never before. 50 years ago, you had to pay to get air conditioning in your car. Now the seats in your air conditioned car have their own air conditioning. Luxury like never before, comfort like never before, convenience like never before. You and I live in houses that are better than palaces of kings just hundreds of years ago. No, I'm not talking about hard times naturally. I'm talking about hard times for faith. Here's the reality. Ungodliness is the cultural norm in the world you and I live in. Anything that the Bible says is the opposite of popular opinion in the world that you and I live in. And some of the most influential people in the world would never say that Jesus is their king. And the devil, did you forget about him? He is real and he is active. And you and I face a spiritual battle every moment of every single day. The devil wants to destroy your faith. So we need to be strong men and women of faith. Matter of fact, not too long before Jesus was to be arrested and crucified, he turned to one of his disciples and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, all of you, as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon. Oh, really, Jesus, thank you. I've prayed that your faith may not fail. What? You didn't pray that Satan would just go away? You didn't. You didn't pray that the difficulties would just never come? All you prayed is that my faith would be steadfast. Yes, Peter. Personally, I believe Jesus is still praying that prayer for every one of us today. The Bible actually tells us Jesus is now at the Father's right hand, interceding for the saints, praying for every single one of us. And unless Jesus has changed his nature and his character, and unless God has changed his purpose, I don't believe Jesus is up there saying, oh, Daddy, please make it easy for him. But I do believe he's up there saying, God, I'm praying for Ken. God, I'm praying that his faith will not fail. God, I'm praying for Brian. I'm praying for Charles. God, I pray that his faith will be steadfast because, man, he's living in some hard times. And well, we gave him a pretty tough mission. I don't know if you know this or remember this, but Jesus actually said the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and violent people take hold of it. What that means is that there is a spiritual battle against the kingdom of God moving forward. See, here's the reality. The kingdom of God and the ability to resist the devil is what we're called to do. We're, we're not called to be people with an easy life. We're not given an easy life. We're actually called to be the church upon the earth, the greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness since Jesus ever came out of the tomb. That's what we're called to be. And so today, as you say, I'm facing trials. I'm just going to give you a simple question. Do you see yourself as a member of the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom upon the earth and confronting the devil every single moment? Or do you see yourself as a human with vacation plans and hopes for a better job? And your biggest worries are where your grass doesn't grow as green as you wish. Do you see yourself as a member of the kingdom of God advancing a spiritual kingdom in a spiritual battle upon an earth for all the chips 
everything, knowing that we're going to be on the winning side with a devil that is doing everything he can to take you down. Because the answer is as simple as this. If you and I are not going to heaven today, we're going to need a stronger faith for tomorrow. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, this is a tough prayer for us to pray, to come before you and to ask you, would you help us in our times of trials, in our times where our faith is meant to grow stronger, where we're meant to grow closer to you? God, we're so used to just asking you, take that away, take that away, God, would you help us with an easy life? God, it's hard for us today, and we're choosing right now, God, to say, we lay those prayers down, and we pick up the prayer of faith that says, God, would you, would you make me stronger? Would you help me to turn to you and to trust in you and to cling to you in the midst of a trial? God, would you give me faith that endures to the point of eternal life? God, do not let me be a person whose faith fails in a trial midway in this life. So God, when life hurts because of a trial, I will choose to trust you. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. We said earlier, God is good and God is loving. It's never better, never better been demonstrated by the fact that every one of us has sinned at some point. And when we did, we were separated from God because he is holy, perfectly holy, and we were not. But out of his love for us and out of his goodness, he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life to die on the cross, a death we deserved. So when his blood was shed and his body was broken, you and I could be forgiven, redeemed from the penalty of sin and given eternal life. It's what we call the free gift of salvation. But like any other gift, it has to be received. So if you have never exchanged the life you've been living for the one Jesus has for you, if you've never received this gift, I wanna help you do it right now, wherever you are, simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would everybody help me celebrate with those people? Amen.